0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Inking Out Loud Podcast. Today, on episode 196, we're covering The Cat Who Saved Books by Sosuke Natsukawa, translated by Luis Heel Kawai. I am your host, Drew McCaffrey, and joining me once again is Lauren McCaffrey.
1: Thanks guys!
0: Before we head into the episode itself, a quick reminder that we're on Patreon. Support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content, such as exclusive episodes, exclusive original fiction, and more. And now for the episode itself, uh, this is a super short book, so I'm not going to do a crazy long summary. Um, the, the overview of it is our main character, Rintaro Natsuki. Trying to make sure I get the pronunciations on these right. <laughs> You're
1: close. You're close. Um, he, uh,
0: his grandfather uh, passes away at the beginning of the book, and uh, Natsuki is given um, his grandfather's secondhand bookshop, and he has just a you know a week or so before his aunt is coming to pick him up to move him in with her, and he's you know he's depressed and and kind of struggling with processing his grandfather's death and everything. And he's visited by a magic cat who needs his help saving books. And the cat leads him into three magical labyrinths, uh, where he saves books from different types of readers, different types of people who love books, but in complicated ways. And then there is a final labyrinth where Natsuki's friend slash brewing girlfriend, uh, sayo uh, is abducted and he goes in and he saves her and ultimately finds you know peace with himself peace with his grandfather's death and he decides to stay and keep operating secondhand bookshop rather than moving in with his aunt and uh, sayo asks him on a date at the end <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is a, a really short book um like i said this was originally written in Japanese and translated. The translation is actually very recent. Um, it, September, 2021 was when it was released in English. And that's kind of the thing that I wanted to lead off on with style. Um, I think it may be dated. Uh, as I was reading it, there were points in the, in the vernacular used in the English translation that felt modern. That felt um, like I, I had suspicions while reading it that this was a recent translation. And when I looked it up and, uh, you know, there was a note from the translator at the end and she mentions translating it during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I was like, yep, that tracks.
1: Yeah, I appreciated her note at the end where she kind of talked about the different decisions that she made in yeah. translating it. She kept words that either didn't have uh, an English version or like, that we uh, should already know because Hikikomori. they're popular. Yeah, Hikikomori. That's uh, that's definitely something I want to talk about.
0: Yeah, um, and then she talks a good a bit about. Um, gendered pronouns, which are apparently Um, something complicated in Japanese. And I'm really glad. mm -hmm. So to make it clear here, Lauren was the one who recommended I read this book. Um, Lauren has a grounding in Japanese language. I do not.
1: (laughs) I took three years out of university. Like that doesn't mean that I left completely fluent. Sure. Because I don't, I think that's a... Something you can only get from immersion, um, but I had professors teaching me who were Japanese. Mm-hmm. You know, so so yes. As far as the pronoun stuff, it's not just hmm, the way that you talk in Japanese if you are a guy versus a girl is different. It's not just pronouns. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like verbs. Well, it's not verbs at all. It's it's like different additions and, oh, what do I, how do I call these?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, in the note from the translator, she says, there tend to be different masculine and feminine styles of speech in Japanese. Yes. And in the original language, the cat sounds more like a man than a woman. Yes. And then she goes on to say, I could have made the decision to use the male pronoun and turn the tabby cat into a male talking cat. But I admit to exercising a touch of translators prerogative. I felt that there was no necessity to add another male character. And that as the original author had not specified a gender, it was reasonable to use a neutral pronoun.
1: So like there are different ways that you speak. Like I would add on more exclamations at the end of the, sentences like as a woman as a woman Hmm. and there are also like different endings that you put on like there's a certain um form of like verbal command that you just don't use as a woman
0: okay yeah so obviously there there are going to be things that come through uh you know as as in the note translated translated translator's prerogative. She gets to make some style choices herself. Um,
1: But also we lose a little depth. Um, I'll give you an example. So in Japanese, there are different levels of formality. And Mm -hmm. um, when the characters are talking to each other, because I don't understand the level of formality because I can't see it, I don't know whether they're being more respectful or disrespectful or whether they're implying like that they are closer or like i would assume that rintaro is distancing himself with the forms of formality that he's using Mm. with his classmates okay but i don't know that because i didn't read it in japanese The
0: original yeah um i know there are definitely points in this book where he says things and other characters remark on his level of formality. Yes. Um, and, and I definitely get the impression from the cat that m- most often the cat is speaking in a pretty formal tone, um, just going off, you know, the Mr. Proprietor. And then at the end, he finally shifts to a more familiar and he calls uh, Rintaro by name. And says, you know, you've earned this.
1: But there are also points where he's disrespectful. So I wonder if he's going from formal to informal. (sighs) You know, because I just don't know.
0: Yeah, the cat's kind of a jerk.
1: I was was surprised
0: by that. Uh, I mean, that's something we'll get into more in character. uh, Because there's definitely more to to get into a style here. Um, And other than the, the translation, just in terms of the voice of the story... It is very simple. It is very direct. Mm. Um, I think after reading this, I would consider this a YA book. I think this is probably best received by a younger reader. Um, not only because the main character is a you know a high school student, but the themes in the book are very straightforward. I think um, there's a lot of just outright telling on the part of the narrator Uh, like there's there's not a whole lot of room for subtlety in in the moral of the story you know this it's a lot of prescribing how you should think about books not presenting you situations and letting you as the reader interpret how to think about the books
1: yeah i think he's going for more appeal with a wider audience
0: yeah, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, like I said, I think it's just more something that'll land for a younger audience. Uh, there's there is somewhat of a sense of parable to it that each of these labyrinths remind me a lot of kind of the stories that Jesus tells his disciples in the Bible. You know, there mm. that there's a clear. Moral to the story. There's a clear purpose and lesson you're supposed to take away from each of these labyrinths and Not just read but you as the reader and and it's supposed to um, Encourage whoever's reading this book to Develop a stronger relationship with reading and with books in general
1: or just reassess like What you're doing and why? like what your purpose is Mm -hmm. which i like
0: yeah uh there was one i highlighted um yeah uh so this is in i believe the yeah the third labyrinth the publishing company and he says nobody's interested in truth or ethics or philosophy people are worn out from living all they want is either to be stimulated or healed. And, and so this is, you know, this is uh, framed as this isn't the truth of the matter. This is the president of the publishing company talking, and Rintaro has to, you know, combat him and and prove him wrong, expose the lies. But I think there is truth in that. I think a lot of people do fall into that category. I Absolutely. see it very often, people talking online saying, you know, I don't want politics in my books. I don't want social criticism, social commentary in my books. I'm reading this for escapism. I'm reading this to forget about these awful things happening in my life. And there are books written for that purpose. Absolutely. Uh, But I think as an author, as a writer myself, the best books are books that can be read for a variety of purposes, that you can read a book for escapism and find that escapism in it. Or if you choose, you can read a level deeper. And that's why, yes. you know, I, I level it a little bit as a criticism um, to this book where, where there's prescriptivism, where the author is telling you what to think about books. And I prefer a book that's more... Here's the situation. You interpret it how you will. Um, the author may have a a specific interpretation in mind, but he's not just going to spoon feed you. He wants you to work for that interpretation. It's one of the reasons I love Gene Wolfe so much. He
1: never, never. Yeah, he spoons.
0: never spoon feeds you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and generally speaking, in my own writing, I don't spoon feed either. There, I've almost found some frustration in, in some of my short stories where people have read them and said, I don't get it. And I'm like, the clues are there. The information's there. You just have to work harder to get it. And, uh, and, but a lot of people, especially for a a relatively unknown writer, like Drew McCaffrey, that nobody's being like, Oh yeah, that, that guy like, Oh, uh, it's not the automatic thing to say, I have to read closely, I have to pay attention and look for clues, the way an author like Gene Wolf demands, and you go in knowing, oh, this is a Gene Wolfe book. I'm gonna have to spend my time, you know, read really reading closely here.
1: So there is a line um by his grandfather in this book specifically saying what you're talking about, mm-hmm. where he says Reading a difficult book is like climbing a higher mountain. You have to put the work in, but the view from there is so much better. You have fa- you have it highlighted. I highlighted that
0: one as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you can read it for me. Um.
0: So it's, oh, it's actually not the one from directly from his uh, grandfather, but it's Rintaro talking to Sayo about One Hundred Years of Solitude. And he says, if you find it difficult, it's because it contains something new to you. Every difficult book offers us a brand new challenge. She says, what are you talking about? And he says, if you find a book easy to read, that means it's all stuff you already know. That's why it's easy. If you find it difficult, that's proof it's something brand new. I think that's a little simplified, but the heart of that is true. You know, uh, generally speaking, if you read a challenging book or read a book that you're struggling with, it's because it's not like the things you're used to. Did, and you you are, if you work through that challenge, you will find a reward at the end.
1: Did you have to do the like hand rule as a little kid?
0: I don't know what that is.
1: Okay, so we would <laughs> pick out a book in the library and you were supposed to flip through the pages and put a finger down for each word that you didn't know. And if you got to a certain number in the first, I don't know, 50 pages, then clearly it was too hard for you and you should go look for a different what? book. <laughs> yes.
0: No, this I never, is what they I teach definitely kids. never did that.
1: It's like six year olds.
0: I had the, probably the opposite experience where my teachers were telling me that book is too easy for you. You need to pick something harder. <laughs> like, cause we had accelerated reader um, in my elementary school and for those listeners i'm sure some of our listeners will be very familiar with the idea of i was not um but basically what this is is books are assigned grade levels and it goes up to 12 plus so up to college level um and you read the book and then there's a, a quiz uh you take it's either a 10 15 or 20 question quiz and depending on the difficulty of the book the length the density of the prose the you know the content thematic content whatever uh it's worth a certain number of points most of the books that were in our elementary school library i'd say were worth between 5 and 15 points
1: boring and
0: then you'd have you know i think it the the peak that we had in our library at least was war and peace which was worth like 128 points um the wheel of time books were added to accelerated reader when i was in 5th grade or 6th grade rather and those were worth anywhere from like 35 to 65 points. Um, I dominated our AR challenges because of the wheel of time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we were given each individual student was given a range by our English teacher. You know, we had um, we had to read a certain a number of books each quarter. I think it was for most students, it was like a book a month. Um, and and then you had to take and pass the accelerated reader quiz and passing was like 75 percent or something like that um and and you know so for when we started this i was in fourth grade and most of the students were given a range of you can read a book between third grade and fifth grade if you want to go higher you can but you may not pass the quiz um and I remember my teacher very quickly being like, no, Drew, you can't read Hardy Boys for your thing. You need to do a more challenging book. (laughs) Uh, And by the time I was in sixth grade, my English teacher would not accept me doing an AR quiz for credit. I could do them for fun, whatever. uh, But for the class, for credit, it had to be eighth grade or above. (laughs) (laughs) So I was reading a lot of like, that was when I read the Three Musketeers and the Count of Monte Cristo. And thankfully, um, you didn't
1: get a yeah. lot of the like adult themes.
0: Oh yeah, in fifth grade when I read the the Three Musketeers, and I, it, the fact that d'Artagnan bangs everything female on two legs uh, went right over my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but anyway, so like going back to the the original point here of you know, no, we never had anybody say like that's too challenging for you. It was the opposite. It was it, we were pushed to read more challenging things to find that reward. So,
1: I guess maybe that comes with having a class of like 30 students and one teacher. They don't have time to
0: I mean, that's how big our classes were.
1: I thought you had smaller classes. Uh,
0: as we got into junior high a lot You of... had
1: more than one teacher though.
0: Uh, we per, had a... per that 30. Uh I mean we had a homeroom teacher.
1: Yeah, that's not the same.
0: Um we started having I think it was 5th grade that we had we started having multiple teachers. We didn't just have one teacher teaching all the subjects. Um but up up through 4th grade I believe our homeroom teacher taught everything.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, and and that was definitely when the classes were the biggest. I think my first grade class was like 32 or 33. And then by the time I left St. Joe's in eighth grade, total, there were like 16 students in eighth grade. <laughs> Whereas in first grade, there were two first grade homerooms, both over 30 kids.
1: Jeez. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Anyway, long tangent, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I think there is, a lot of value in reading challenging books uh it's one of the things that i have tried to focus on with inking out loud that we're not just reading you know the popular fun popcorn books we throw some of those in there um you know we we take requests from our patreon supporters uh, but when i look at the schedule i try to work in new things whether it's something more challenging, whether it's reading Gene Wolfe or Matthew Stover, or you know something like that, Arcadine Martin, something that's you know uh, a higher, more demanding level of of story, or something like this that is you know this is an easy read, yeah, but it's very different from what I'm used to reading, so it's I'm still learning something new.
1: Sure. Sure. And, and like translated books are always different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so the, the other big, uh, I think immediate thing that jumps out in terms of style and inspiration for this book is the labyrinth, the Mm -hmm. idea of the labyrinth. Uh, Mm -hmm. this is, you know, obviously taken from Greek mythology, right? The Minotaur in the center of the labyrinth, uh, how do you find that parallel? Like, do you think it's more than a superficial parallel? Um, Do you think it it gets to something in the heart of the story?
1: Um, I mean, I didn't really see it as more, but I also, it's been so long. So I was just doing a review of
0: Mm.
1: Theseus and the Uh Minotaur. and
0: That's King Minos, right? Yes. On Crete. Yeah. It has been a while since I've, you know done my my uh greek mythology as yeah. well so
1: so they defeat the athenians and then demand children every year for mm-hmm. the minotaur to consume
0: and he goes in with a a thread
1: well he gets that from um ariadne ariadne yeah, yeah. the daughter mm-hmm. of the king yeah and then promises to marry her doesn't
0: <laughs> oh i do not remember that <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um she yeah she he's not supposed to go in there with anything he hides his sword apparently like in his clothing and then she gives him the ball of string because she falls for him
0: golden thread i think it is
1: and then she ends up marrying dionysus i think
0: oh yeah
1: so i i mean
0: she's she's the spider one Ariadne, yes yes because she's you know she's a weaver and that's where the thread comes from yes but uh but yeah so the thing The only thing that really struck me thematically was that um, typically when you think of a labyrinth nowadays, you just think of a maze and you're like, we have to get through the maze. We have to find whatever's on the other side. Yeah. But both the myth and in this, it's about going to the center of the labyrinth and then getting back out. Okay. Um, All right. Which I think is a, a subtle but important distinction. Uh, the main threat in this book is being lost in the first three, especially the first two uh, where there's, there are multiple points where there's a specific call out that Rintaro could not find his own way back anymore.
1: Yeah. Okay. If,
0: if he were to try, he wouldn't know he's lost. He's lost track of where they are. Um. I think that, peter's off a little bit and and the the last two are more um it's less about him getting lost in there uh the the final one certainly is more sayo getting lost he's given the exit easily in the last one but he doesn't he he won't leave until he makes sure that she's gonna get out um
1: but she almost gets trapped in the second one
0: right she does yeah Uh, but yeah, so do you want to talk characters or do you sure. have any other style things that you want to go over?
1: I think we'll hit those when I remember them through the characters.
0: Okay. Like I have a couple <laughs> more kind of basic style things, but that's more miscellaneous. It's not worth like a whole talking point. So, okay. um, so yeah, Rintaro, Rintaro Natsuki. Yes. Uh, I think this is a character that, uh, especially for a young adult audience, a lot of young boys are going to identify with him.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You have a character who is cripplingly shy, um, has very little self esteem,
1: has not fit in at all up to this point.
0: Yeah. Um, Struggles to make friends, struggles to, you know, find any sense of belonging other than, you know, hiding out in this bookshop
1: yes uh
0: i think it makes for a a really you know sympathetic main character he's easy to identify with um
1: and clearly he's had a rough life mm -hmm. he his parents split up when he was a baby his mother died in a car accident soon after yeah he's only had his grandfather for for the longest time yep and clearly even with just having his grandfather who was a good caregiver mm-hmm. he still felt isolated and stopped going to school
0: yeah and i mean that's always tough uh no matter how good a guardian his grandfather may be for him that's still a, a bigger you know generational divide than normal and it could be even tougher for the grandfather to relate to his struggles know as a young teenager
1: but clearly we've got a grandfather who um at some point taught at a university i believe had a phd and had very big goals of changing the world yeah (laughs) (laughs) which he changed his approach to meeting so i i mean even though we don't get the man on the page i still wonder how much he was capable of.
0: Well, I think the author did a good job of building that character, despite him really only appearing in a couple of brief flashbacks. Yeah. We get a strong sense for his values, for his attitude, his demeanor. He He's that sort of calm, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um,
1: Detailed. I don't, no,
0: like the, he, he's good at settling everything. Yes. Um, he, he has a, a, a calm presence and that extends to the people he engages with. He's good at, you know, giving you a little ocean of peace in the middle of the turmoil of a, a busy life. Uh, the, the bookstore itself comes across as a sanctuary because of the way his grandfather has built and maintained it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And clearly it's extremely important to his his goals of the purpose of his life.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So when I was um, looking into this book, I wanted to, I was kind of curious if the kanji in Rintaro's name would give us clues because There are different ways to, like, you can use different kanji to, for each person's name. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, you name someone with kanji with, like, a purpose. So I was like, okay, is Rintaro, like, are we going to get clues about him from the kanji in his name? So I looked him up. Um, And unfortunately, not really. Oh, (laughs) This book's not that deep, Lauren. <laughs> so the first kanji is like grove or forest, and the second kanji is for like thick. So I guess you could say thick forest. But the final kanji is um, is the counter for like boys or sons.
0: Huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so no, no hints like I wanted. Yeah, I wanted yeah. it to be like a profound. Yeah. Like. Oh. Was, was that the case
0: for any of the characters?
1: I didn't keep going because it was hard to um, get the full copy in Japanese. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Sure.
1: And and last names don't count for this.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of other characters, Sayo.
1: Yes. I interpret her as like the classic um, perfect student. Like, she's the class president for a reason. She's probably above and beyond in every aspect. She cl- she plays an instrument. She...
0: Does all these extracurriculars. Yep.
1: She's very involved in school, and she's a complete opposite to him, to Rin Taro.
0: So, I don't know if I fully agree with that. No? I think... Uh, Akiba? Akiba? Akiba. Akiba. I think he's the complete opposite. I don't that know. She is, She's not a
1: reader though. Yeah, like Akiba is.
0: But he's the, like, he's the perfect student where he's like the smartest in the year. He's the star of the basketball team. He's the class president. He's on student council, he, like all of that. She, I think she is a great student, but I don't, I think Akiba is supposed to be more of a foil for, uh, taro than she is she's more a counterpart a compliment um I do think all of these characters are pretty unremarkable uh, in their depth they're all they're all uh, tropes they're all stereotypes
1: okay yeah um,
0: again that's not necessarily a problem I think that's just a feature of what this book is that it, it is trying to teach a lesson rather than to deeply explore the complexities of a character's life.
1: You know? Right. 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 Um,
0: and, and so having these archetypal characters, uh, is a smart move on the author's part. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: it, you get a little bit of, you know, a soap opera ending, uh, where, <laughs> where he gets the girl, uh, <laughs> there's, there's some good humor to that. I, I like Sayo's sense of humor. Um, she's good at ribbing him without like going over the line uh and then the way it ends where she asks him out to dinner and he's like what why and she's like because if i was gonna wait for you uh to ask me it would never happen
1: so i was taught in japanese to never say things like no to like if somebody's let's say somebody's asking me out And I didn't want to go. Mm -hmm. Don't say no. You don't say no. You never say no. You hedge and you him and ha until they get the hint that either the date doesn't work and they try another date or that you are not interested. Okay. Because (laughs) saying
0: interesting cultural
1: difference. (laughs) Because being direct is being rude. Okay. And we get hints of that in here yeah, 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 where like he comments on like, Oh, she's so direct. Whereas like in, yeah. in our culture, it would not be direct. Yeah. They are not being direct. They're just talking. Mm-hmm. And for in Japanese, yes, it is. It's so, it's like, it's very, yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm really glad we have this cultural insight <laughs> from you. <laughs> Cause yeah, they're, they're definitely, uh, subtleties to the book that like cultural subtleties that i i couldn't pick up
1: yeah i mean i'll give you an example so there's a holiday in japanese culture that is specifically for like school age people where girls will cook or prepare chocolates for somebody that they like Oh, and they just give them it like, so,
0: this is like a culturally appropriate way to be direct? Yes. <laughs> That's interesting. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Okay.
1: But, like, in general, you're not supposed to be that direct. It's inappropriate.
0: Mm-hmm. All right.
1: And so, when the characters are in here, it's like it's a little shocking, especially because, like, Rintaro is clearly shut himself away yeah and it's difficult like when they are loud or direct with him it's very jarring they're not being fragile
0: yeah yeah and and so the the most direct is definitely the cat uh i was really surprised by the character of the cat um Going into this book, I was expecting the cat to be a you know like warm and fuzzy companion. <laughs>
1: um,
0: this cat's kind of a dick.
1: Yeah, but I think he needs to be.
0: Yeah, uh, but it, it it made sense once I hit a certain point where there's uh, late in the book where the author describes the cat as like being a typical cat, arrogant and and <laughs> whatever, and and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, like of course all of these characters are archetypes this cat is going to also be an archetype of what the author, how the author views cats personalities. And I just think it's funny because that is not at all the personality our cat has.
1: He's, he's arrogant. Uh,
0: He's, he's not rude like that though. Like he is a very socially friendly cat. Um, You know, we make jokes that he's dog like in so many mannerisms because he's, he's always so excited to, to meet new people the doorbell rings he runs down the stairs to the door he's right at the window excited you know he's not aloof and and rude like that
1: he's when sassy he,
0: yeah he's sassy but he's not he's not a dick like this cat <laughs> like tiger tiger the tabby <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're looking at our cat right now he's he's grooming himself about two feet from where we're recording. Um, yeah. But so I I was expecting something different from the cat than what we got, but I am not disappointed in what we got. I think the cat is still like, you know, a fun, a fun inclusion in the story.
1: And I was combing through reviews, looking for something like a deeper review, which I did not find. Sure. Um, and a lot of people were really put off by Tiger.
0: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I bet a lot of people who read this book pick it up because they're big cat fans and they want a fun companion cat character, and that's not what Tiger is.
1: Yeah, he's like a snap out of it.
0: Yeah. He's a he's like a hard ass coach who's gonna, you know, whip you into line, you know. Yeah. No more excuses.
1: Stop with the like Mm -hmm. pretending. Tell the truth now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um do you have any other characters you want to talk about? I mean, there aren't really too many other characters in the book.
1: Um, we could talk about the different labyrinths.
0: I don't know how much there really is to talk about with them. I mean...
1: With the characters in them. The
0: final, the final one um, is obviously the Bible. It's like yes. the soul of the Bible. Um, I don't know if I loved that. Uh, that like personification of christianity
1: that was a little rough for me yeah
0: like it was i i I very much get the impression that the author of this book is not a christian (laughs) because it was a really cynical um uh like whiny whiny um yeah like the that the bible's like all desperate and and upset that she is, is being, you know. I thought she came off as cold. Well, I mean, she, she's described as being cold, but in her dialogue, what she's saying is that she's afraid because the Bible is going out of popularity. That, that like Christianity is fading and and she's like lashing out because of that. Um,
1: I found her abusive and cold yeah and i was like i don't quite understand how like there's there's talk with tiger before that final labyrinth where he's like look when books are handled and abused Mm -hmm. then it they take on that abuse
0: yeah yeah so like that is a a social commentary on how the author perceives christians today
1: I saw it more as like, I don't know. There are a lot of cults that say that they're,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> fueled yeah, by the I mean, Bible.
0: I don't want to get too much into that kind of stuff on King Out loud, but right,
1: right. Uh, but like, I, that's what I guessed that they were talking about. Hmm. Where it was like people justifying their evil actions.
0: That that could be. Um, the so the interesting thing I like again I don't know much about Japanese culture. Uh, I was surprised by the importance of Christmas and Christmas Eve. Like I didn't know that was a, a holiday they celebrated. Oh in Japan.
1: yes, okay. yes, and they even talk about cake.
0: Yeah, they, yeah. There, there's a Christmas Eve cake.
1: There is a cake. Yeah, True. It's, it's important. <laughs> yeah. Like cake is part of Christmas, and <laughs> and I think it's KFC is a big part oh, of.
0: Okay, I have heard that. I you may have told me that in the past that rings a bell um yeah now I'm hungry thanks Lauren
1: you're welcome
0: (laughs) maybe maybe we're gonna end end this episode soon here so I can go eat dinner uh but, but yeah I I don't have much more to say character wise um jokes about dinner aside uh, I, I do have, you know, kind of the one miscellaneous point, style point. There was, as far as I noticed, there was only one point in the book where we got Rintaro's internal thoughts italicized the way you'll see a lot of authors do, like, you know, in the Wheel of Time or in Stormlight Archive or whatever, when a character is, we're getting exactly what they are thinking rather than just narration through their lens. Um, it's in italics. Okay. Uh, but here, the one time it happens, I don't think it should have been italicized because it's the pronoun is he. And if it's Rintaro's thoughts, it should be I.
1: Hmm.
0: It's, now he understood why the woman at the reception desk had been so concerned about the danger of walking outside. He thought bitterly. Either it shouldn't have been italicized And you remove he thought bitterly or you change that first he to an I. Now I understand why the woman at the reception desk had been so concerned.
1: Okay. So I'll admit that like my, the extent of my reading in Japanese was pretty limited. Limited, Um, Like I knew how to, we obviously had to write Mm -hmm. and I knew how to write and start and end sentences and paragraphs and all of that. But I don't know if italics is, how italics is expressed.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't think this is a, a Japanese thing at all. I think You think, think it's this a is, translation? Yeah, this is a translation thing. Um, she yeah. should have, in her translation, she should have fixed that. Um, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I do. I do want to talk about one thing with um, with Ring Taro.
0: Okay.
1: So, do you you got an interpretation of what a Hikikomori is?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What? Like, what was your impression?
0: Like a a shut-in. Um. So I was I was uh a little confused at first with it, where when they started using like calling him a Hikikomori as like a title almost. Um, I thought at first it was just a descriptor uh, of like, oh, you know, he's like a shy um, kind of reclusive person. Um, But then people started like calling him a Hikikomori to his face. And I was like, you know, she's like, you're the Hikikomori. Uh, And so I looked it up and, and at that point and saw, you know, this is somebody who makes a conscious decision to withdraw to avoid social contact. Um, and that apparently it's like a cultural phenomenon and they're it, like, it's something they actually track in Japan. Um, how many people, like, like it's almost like a declared thing. Like I am a hikikomori um, and there was there was some, uh, before COVID-19 uh, it was estimated there were over a million hikikomori in Japan and that, that number has probably skyrocketed since the pandemic.
1: Yes. Um, so it's it's referenced a lot in Cultural Things where you'll see it in anime. And I know you've seen it in in anime, or or like people have at least referenced it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I've heard the word. I mean, I well actually, I'm sure I've heard the word, but I'm reading subtitles you know and in an english dub they're not gonna you know use that word directly so
1: you've heard otaku though right
0: yes i have heard otaku there's like a famous website called otaku that's all about anime stuff.
1: that's like as as i see it it's like the nice term like the poppy term otaku is mm-hmm. Okay. so we also have it in like world war z one of our main characters is a hikomori and he okay. is trying to figure everything out with everybody else and then when his system shuts down, the internet shuts down and then his, his parents are no longer able to take care of him.
0: Hmm.
1: Like it's it's creeping in a lot more. but okay. it is not really as much of a thing here.
0: Right, like, oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yes, there's reference to people who live in their parents' basements,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but this level is kind of like an accepted level. Yeah. Which is a little crazy. There's yeah. there's a whole book that was written in 1998 that kind of introduced the concept to everybody and made up the word. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So it, it comes from um, two two verbs. So hiku, which is like pull, tug, jerk, and then komoru, which is like to seclude oneself or devote oneself or coop or cage. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's like a pull oneself inward.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And it's a choice. like the, So the book that introduced this was written by a psychiatrist in Japan. And he talked about how this is not, we're not talking about an illness, a mental illness that caused this.
0: Yeah. It's like a deliberate decision. We're
1: talking about a decision that has severe impacts on the person that mm-hmm. result in like mental illness uh, symptoms.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Like, it's not like somebody had severe depression and therefore they shut themselves off. It's like something happened like they couldn't get a job or some other trauma in their life like shame some more some other type of shame trauma led them to shut themselves off and after doing that for a period of time they couldn't gotcha they couldn't choose anymore
0: okay
1: and I like that's one thing where I want to say like, We kind of assume that first world countries all have very, like, the same kind of culture. Yeah. And this is a very clear example of how, like, no, no, they do not. Mm -hmm. Japanese culture is very different. (laughs) Just because we see anime and manga that are popular and seem like
0: Yeah. Westernized.
1: Westernized. Yeah. Doesn't mean.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, well, before we wrap up, uh, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, Mm -hmm. like where did you find this book? Why did you read it in the first place?
1: (laughs) So, so my coworker convinced me to download this, um, this app called Libby, where you put in library cards. Mm-hmm. And then you have access to these big libraries, their eBooks and their, their audiobooks. Yeah. And I was out of books and it just kind of popped up <laughs> under my search. Okay. Nice. And then I, I enjoyed it in the two hours it took.
0: Yeah. Super fast read. <laughs> super fast.
1: And I was like, this would be fun. I like this. And also I like. I, like, I am the person that this book is talking to. I have the temptations or had the temptations to do the different things of the people in this labyrinth. Like, in the beginning, as a reader, I did not reread ever. Oh, wow. Ever.
0: Hmm. (laughs) That was definitely not the case for me. And
1: I was like, why would I? (laughs) Why would I do that? Why would I reread? I need to move on. Like, there are so many books I haven't read and I need to get to. Hmm. Whereas my brother would sit and read Harry Potter for the 30th time. Yep. And I didn't get it.
0: Yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah, I know. In Wheel of Time and Star Wars and Rune Lords and Dragonlance and Darkness and
1: <laughs> well, like all the
0: things. <laughs> so when the, read number, over and over.
1: when the number of books got overwhelming that I needed to read and you find out about Cliff Notes then you have the temptation to rush things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've used Sparknotes for academic classes when I didn't really care about the the class or the book, but I needed to write an essay. Uh, but in terms of like, if I, like I'm not the kind of person who's like, I'm going to go look up the Sparknotes so that I can come off as cultured and educated and be like, yeah, I've read that book. You know, like, that's never been me.
1: No, I'm not doing that, but I'm tempted. Okay. I mean, because I want to catch up and I feel like I'm so far behind my goals. Like Mm -hmm. there are hundreds of books just in our house. Yeah, the
0: the eternal to be read list.
1: Yeah, it's overwhelming sometimes. And then I feel feel guilty about- But
0: that's just life.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I feel guilty about rereading when I'm like, but look at the TBR list. But then I realize at the same time, like the reread is valuable. Yeah.
0: As long as you're still getting value and and you're you're not just reading. Like I think rereading, Hmm. (laughs) I'm trying to not make like a a harsh judgment statement here.
1: I think I know what it's going to be.
0: Rereading for popcorn purposes, I think is like, not great. Um, like sometimes yeah like you just really need that comfort book go back to an old favorite um, but generally speaking, I think rereading is most valuable when it's you're you're looking at a book from a different perspective or trying to further deepen your understanding of the story like I think about nowadays, when I do reread a series, reread an old favorite, it's something like The Black Company or The Book of the New Sun or The Acts of Cain where I'm dealing with a, an essential part of the text that requires close reading, an unreliable narrator, or uh, in the case of The Black Company, different narrators, or in, in the case of The Acts of Cain, subsequent books in the series recontextualizing the books that came before. Oh, And yeah. so you have to reread to really fully understand what happened in the series.
1: And in Gene Wolfe, you just have to reread, yeah, period. Yeah, in,
0: in Gene Wolfe, the second time you read the Book of the New Sun is the first time you read the Book of the New Sun. Right. Uh, <laughs> but but it's like, like I don't want to say, like, don't reread comfort books because – Yeah, there is going to be value in that. Sometimes that's just what you need. But for myself, as I have gotten older, I find much more value in rereading those more challenging series to gain a better understanding or read from an alternate perspective, find different things in in a book that I've already read.
1: And I'll talk with like the Wheel of Time. Um, I have been (laughs) rereading... And it's kind of an understanding of what exactly Robert Jordan was doing, like how complex his character building and his world building was. Yeah, that's where, like, that's the purpose of the reread at this point for me.
0: Yeah, it's like understanding foreshadowing, understanding how he laid out his plots, how he structured the series.
1: And like the number yeah. of characters, the, the like the level that he got to, yeah. Is... And the
0: sheer volume of that series—if you only read it once, you're gonna forget things.
1: Yeah. yeah. If yeah. you only
0: read it ten times, you're gonna forget
1: things. And then you just assume <laughs> an entire book is wasted because you don't remember it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So, and then kind of my my last question—you've already touched on this a little bit, but you know, how did you like the book?
1: I liked it. Um, but I also feel guilty because I have those tendencies. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know. I appreciated Rintaro's, like journey, and I felt for him. Okay. That's not something easy to go through. And clearly, he's completely, I don't know, just sidelined, like by life. Okay. And then he, he doesn't even know how to, how to deal with the loss of his grandfather. Mm -hmm. Like, I cannot imagine the trauma you've lost everybody. And now you're supposed to go live with a stranger. Yeah. Like, thank God there's somebody who's, who's going to be there for you. Like Sayo.
0: Yeah. That was really important for him. Um, yeah. So for myself, I I thought the book was okay. Um, I'm not the intended audience for this book. Like I said, I think this is probably best for a young adult audience um, or an adult who is maybe rediscovering a love of reading. Um, I, somebody maybe who's gotten jaded about reading. Yeah. Uh, but... Generally speaking, the types of things that I'm looking for in books are not what's going on here. I'm not going to say it was a bad book. I think for what it was trying to do, it was well-constructed and it was effective. So, so yeah. Uh, but, of course, before we sign off, we have to do the final draft. woo uh, For myself, I'm drinking a non-alcoholic Guinness, which, to be honest, tastes quite a lot like a regular old guinness you know it's canned on nitro uh like a guinness draft and it's it's smooth it's satisfying
1: so guinness has contributed a lot to the world like not just talking beer but like economics like economic theory. One of, one of the brewers actually contributed to like economic theory.
0: Huh. That's fun.
1: Yeah. But they also hold their secrets pretty close. Yes, they do. So I would love to have a discussion with their head brewer, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Some hardcore NDAs going on there. Yes. Uh, yeah. So what are you drinking?
1: So I'm drinking a dry hopped lager from Cerebral Brewing, which is in Denver near us. Um, this one aged three weeks in American oak, um, a fooder, so like a, a barrel of American oak. And it was a pilsner base with oats. And then they used galaxy and citra hops. It's 5.8%. and It
0: smells really lemony. Yeah, it's the hops. Yeah, it's wow. Yeah, this is very really pleasant
1: to drink. But yeah, I picked it because of the name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so this one is called Inhabited Form. Love it. Which is totally for Tiger.
0: Uh, well, not just for Tiger. I feel like that also fits with the the fourth labyrinth. That mm-hmm. this is the Bible inhabiting this particular form. Uh, but so you say it's for Tiger, and I think it's really funny because the label <laughs> art Creepy. is is like a shadowed face with glowing, like um metallic green eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and there were definitely several points in the story where Tiger the Tabby is in the shadows and Rintaro can only see the jade eyes glowing.
1: I really okay, that's one thing I. I want to know what book he was.
0: Oh, yeah. I, that's that's a good point. They, they got really close to saying that this is some children's book that he read as a kid. Maybe his mom read it to him or something. Uh, because it was from very early in his life. But it doesn't come out and say what book it was.
1: And I feel like I'm supposed to know, but I kind of wonder if it's a popular Japanese book that I don't know about.
0: Oh yeah, that, that could very well be,
1: but this beer is yeah. delicious.
0: Well, awesome. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. This has been episode 196 of the inking out loud podcast. Next up, we are going to be doing a, honestly a book that I should have read a while ago. I've and heard he didn't. such amazing things about it. Uh, this book has won awards. Um, has had great reviews and I've been told by many people that I particularly will probably enjoy it a great deal. And that is Piranesi by Susanna Clark, Uh, another short book, but we're going to do the episode. And I think, uh, I think it's going to make for some pretty fun conversation. Lauren is going to be joining me for that one once again. As always, you can support the show on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Like I said at the top of the episode, we have lots of fun bonus content. I am slowly getting my feet back under me after Rob left the show. Um, doing all of that bonus content for Patreon has fallen on my lap, and I you know, haven't really been able to keep up with it, but I am finally uh, getting back on that, so... Thanks for the patience uh, to our Patreons, uh, Patreon supporters. Um, But we got some fun things planned uh, coming up in the next couple of months for that, including some very fun writing that I have done Mm -hmm. this fall. Um, Yeah. But as always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my very special guest, Lauren McCaffrey.
1: Cheers, guys.
0: Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.